years ago was uh, the monkey that had the banana. Can you hear me now? <laughs> I think it was AT&T. Because when I was a kid, TV was in black and white, but eventually it got into color. And there was these uh, chimpanzees they trained to put them in suits and stuff, and there were secret agents and spies, and they made it look like they were talking, and I don't know how they did it, but the chimpanzees talked. Can you hear me now? It was always a lot of fun to watch funny shows like that. But, time to get serious. We have been going through uh, Peter's two letters, and we are at the end of his second letter, uh, chapter 3. So this is the sixth in a series, and we are going to begin at verse 10. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, open our eyes that we may see wondrous things out of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, if you remember, Peter wrote this two letters specifically to Jewish people. And Jewish people, their Bible is the Old Testament. So he knows who he's talking to. But, we can apply it to ourselves also. Can you say amen? So it begins, this, this number 10 is highlighted uh, like that or made bold because it delineates a new thought. When it was originally written, if you're a student of the Bible, you know there was no chapters and numbers and things like that. It was all actually, and the way they can tell oldest manuscripts is it's all capital Greek letters. So somebody, I believe his name is St. Jerome, decided to put everything in order like this, which is very nice of him because it makes it a lot easier for us to find stuff. But he begins this thought, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And some transcripts, uh, they put like a thief in the night. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. In other translations, it says the works that are in it will be burned up. So first of all, let's look at the day of the Lord. This is something familiar to students of the Old Testament. And uh, in Amos, who is one of the minor prophets, chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. How many's ever heard uh, Handel's Messiah? The whole thing. Frederick, uh, whatever his name was, Handel wrote this uh, opera kind of like thing. And it was, go he went through the whole Bible. And uh, so he set it to music, and he's got people singing. Anybody ever hear that, that chorus goes, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. That's from Handel's Messiah. But he also put in there, Who shall stand in the day of his appearing? And it got, got some guy with a deep voice singing opera, who can stand when he appears. So he's quoting from the Old Testament, Amos chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. It says, and it, listen to what he says here. Alas for you who desire the day of the Lord. And according to the commentators, or Amos is speaking for God and he's telling these people, they're saying, oh yeah, bring the day of the Lord. Come on, bring it. Yeah, let's see it. Because they're mocking God. As we know, uh, we saw earlier in the chapter that there were mockers in Peter's day saying, where's the coming of his promise? Okay, bring it. Let's see. And they're mocking God. They do the same thing in Isaiah 
and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the three major prophets of the Old Testament, people mock God. They think, well, God's not powerful. He can't do nothing. <laughs> oh, just do whatever I want, you know, and God, God don't care. Well, truth is, God does care. Can you say amen? And uh, I don't know about you, but I don't like being made fun of. You think God likes being made fun of? I don't think so. So uh, he says, speaking for God, Amos the prophet says, Why do you want the day of the Lord? It's a day of darkness, not light. Amos lived between or prophesied between the years 760 and 750 B.C. He was a sheep herder in the reign of King Jeroboam II. This was a peaceful reign in Jerusalem. It was the height of Israel's territorial expansion and national prosperity. They had military security and affluence, and they took that as a sign of God's favor. And as a result of that, they kind of like drifted off and said, well, God, you know, we're just going to do our own thing. Yeah, God's going to come. Sure, okay, right. Kind of like today. Our country is the most affluent and prosperous nation in the world. It's just mind-boggling that the poorest person in this country is richer than most of the world. Most of the world, you know, they don't have what we have. We're really blessed in this country. These people in, in Amos' day, they relied on military might, not God. They also uh, were participating in gross immorality and oppression of the poor. High interest rates were the thing of that day. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through chapter 3, verse 21, he talks about the same thing. And this was, Joel lived between the years 400 and 350 B.C., and he calls it the great and terrible day of the Lord. Who can stand at His appearing? Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 2 and 3 says, Who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap or launderer's soap. Clean stuff up. Nothing, nothing sticks around that shouldn't be there. Who can stand? How many remember what John said in chapter 1 of the book of Revelation? When I saw him, what did he do? Did he stand there? No. John says, I fell at his feet as though I was dead. Who can stand at his appearing? If you read the description of Jesus when he comes back, it's like, whoa. People shake and tremble. They won't be able to stand. I like that song, uh, I can only imagine. Will I dance for you, Jesus? Will I stand in awe of you or be still? What am I going to do when I see Jesus? I can only imagine what's going to be like. Fact of the matter is, Jesus is going to return. Jesus was a real person. He really did live, walked on the face of the earth. It's a historical fact that Jesus of Nazareth lived and died. But it's also a historical fact that he rose again from the dead because, like I said yesterday, there's an empty tomb in Israel as proof. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Look, he is coming amid the clouds, and every eye will see him. This is a quote, even those who pierced him. 
All the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. That's from the NIV. This is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Zechariah. In chapter 14 of Zechariah, he also speaks about the day of the Lord. And the new, uh, new revised standard version has on the end of that, all the earth shall mourn because of him. So it is to be. Amen. So it is to be. The Bible says when Jesus appears, every eye shall see him. I don't know exactly how that's going to happen, but some people think, well, everybody's got cell phones now, and we've got satellites. All They'll be able to see everything. You know, worldwide surveillance. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> but everybody will see him. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Listen also to what it says. He will come like a thief. When I first got saved and started serving God back in the early 80s, there was these three, the three big uh, prophecy films, A Thief in the Night. There's a whole series about the rapture and what's going to happen on earth after that and the tribulation and stuff and how to escape. And uh, that was one of the names of the movies was A Thief in the Night. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2, <clears throat> Paul says, You yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. But Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, But about that day and hour, no one knows, neither the angels of heaven nor the Son, that's Jesus, of course, but only the Father. In verse 42 and 44, excuse me, Jesus says, Watch, therefore, be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. But, Acts chapter 1, verse 7 says, Seasons are known only by the Father. Some things only God knows, but some things we know. Because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, You know seasons. You can tell when summer's coming. You can tell when spring's coming. You can hardly wait for summer. Nice and warm again. No more cold weather. Praise God. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. Suddenly, the disciples are standing there with their mouths open, looking up to heaven because Jesus just got lifted up into the clouds. Wow! They're standing there like, Suddenly, two men in white robes stood by them and said to them, This Jesus, why are you looking up there? This Jesus, who's been taken up from you into heaven, will return in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. On the clouds. It's a cloudy day today. Who knows? It could be today. <laughs> Hallelujah. Every day, every day it's a cloudy day. I mean, he could come in if it's not cloudy, but every day it's a cloudy day. Who knows? Because nobody knows when he's coming. Hallelujah. He is coming back. Then look what it says. The heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. One... Uh, um, oh, that's the next one. The, the earth, the elements. In the King James, it says the, the heavens, the elements will pass away. The heavens, in uh, the King James, it says the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. I find it very interesting. How many ever heard of the, uh, the uh, table of periodic elements? It's a chemistry table. Does anybody know when it was invented or created? Well, 
the Bible talks about the elements. Maybe it was back then. No, it wasn't. I looked it up. In 1869, Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev started the development of the periodic table, arranging chemical elements by atomic mass. He predicted the discovery of other elements, and he left spaces open in his periodic table for them. Isn't that amazing? And the Bible says in the King James that God already knew there was going to be elements. The main elements are oxygen. I think there's five of them, but I don't remember. Oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, and I can't remember the other two, but you need five minimum for life to exist. But the Bible says that they're going to melt with fervent heat. The elements in the Greek, <clears throat> there's only one time that this word is used there. According to Strong's uh, concordance, it's the basis of existence, the elements. And the Bible says they're going to burn up. How many have ever heard that our sun is a star and it's going to explode someday? Anybody ever hear that? Well, I looked this up. It's not true. It's not going to explode. According to Mr. Horner, a University of South Queensland uh, astrophysicist or astrologist, uh, not astrologist, astronomer, he says our sun, which is about, according to science, about five and a half billion years old, so they think, will expand and engulf the earth and become a red giant. And about 500 million years later, it's going to just kind of and form what they call a planetary nebula. Now, how do they know this? Well, they don't really. <laughs> but they've been able to look out into space and look way, way out into space. And if you've ever seen some of the photographs from the Hubble Space Telescope, it is awesome out there. It's just so amazing. I've seen a picture of hundreds of galaxies, and galaxies are huge. If, if my wife was the center of the Milky Way galaxy, our solar system, which is the sun and the planets, would be this tiny little speck over here. That's where we are in the Milky Way galaxy. We're just like way out on the edge. And there's billions and billions of galaxies spinning around way out there. Just mind-boggling. So I've seen a picture of a star that grew into, uh, like our sun, grew into a red star and then blew up. And what's left is a white dwarf. Little tiny white dwarf. Sounds kind of like, uh, what's that word? Politically incorrect, calling somebody a white dwarf. <laughs> That's racist, you know. <laughs> uh, a white dwarf. And that's all that's going to be left. And there's going to be a big cloud of stuff all over the place. And, and it's so huge, it's mind-boggling. But the heavens, verse 7, <clears throat> which are now present by the same word of God. This is from the uh, earlier chapter 3. The heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are now reserved for fire until the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. And it's going to pass away with a roar, a great noise. So I looked this up. In 1883, the volcano in Krakatoa erupted. It was about 180 decibels loud. It was heard 
in Perth, Australia, 1,930 miles away, and the islands of Mauritius, about 3,000 miles away, they heard the explosion of this volcano. Human pain threshold is 120 to 130 decibels. Hearing damage occurs at 85 decibels and above. Human speech is 25 to 35 decibels. A 5.0 earthquake will produce about 235 decibels of sound. The largest sound or the loudest sound ever experienced by humans occurred on June 30th, 1908 at 7.40 in the morning over Russia. A meteor, a large meteor, blew up about three to six miles above the Earth's surface. It had the, the uh, power and sound of about a thousand megaton bomb, and they estimate that the sound was 300 to 315 decibels. That would kill you. They claim that a 235 decibel earthquake, the noise would kill you. How many know how your ear works? There's a little tiny bone in there called the hammer and anvil. On the other side of your eardrum are little hairs, cilia. Those get damaged, that's why you have hearing loss. But that bone absorbs the vibrations, and then your brain figures it out. Your bones of your body also absorb vibration and sound. Did you know that? That's why those kids that ride around in the loud stereos are so irritating, because it's getting into your bones. <laughs> a little science lesson for you. Praise God. Hallelujah. The earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Works is the word, the Greek word ergon, where we get the word ergonomic from. To work as an occupation implies an act or a deed. That's why it says the works will be exposed. The deeds. Nothing is hidden from God. Can you say amen? God sees everything. God even knows what we think. Hallelujah. And He still loves us. Hallelujah. Praise God. They will be revealed, laid bare, or found. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15 says, No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. He's the chief cornerstone. Can you say amen? If anyone builds, and everyone should be building on this foundation, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, and I always began to wonder, why would anybody build with hay? But now we know you can build a hay bale house and cover it with stucco, and you need straw to put in your adobe bricks. So you can build with it, but each one's work will become clear or exposed for the day of God will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he's built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself or she herself will be saved, yet as through, through fire. Hmm. Kind of like a warning. So then we go to less, uh, chapter... Oh, those are highlighted too. I wonder why. Ah, oh well. <laughs> Since then, all these things ought to be thus dissolved. What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of the which the heavens, here he repeats it, will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt away as they burn. Be careful what you pray for. 
One day, many years ago, when I first started serving God, <clears throat> I was working on my first construction job, and I was helping an older carpenter. He's cutting some uh, rebar with a torch. And I think we get up to like 1,100 degrees and <laughs> just cut right through steel. The night before, I'd ask God, God, show me that heaven, hell is real. So I burned my hand on the stove, heating up a tortilla. <laughs> no big deal. So the next day, there I am helping the carpenter cut the bars, and he cuts it. And it's red hot, but it cools off and looks like the right color almost immediately. So I picked it up and ah, I threw it. <laughs> I said, oh, man. And he looks at me, what are you doing? And I felt that pain go up. Boom, hit me in the heart. I said, God's answering my prayer. <laughs> what would you pray for? <laughs> Therefore, or since then, seeing that all these things are thus to be dissolved, be careful. What manner of persons ought we to be? I'll give you a hint. The New Testament has lots of instructions on what manner of persons we ought to be. Titus chapter 3, Paul writes to Titus, Pastor Titus, give you some advice. Remind people to be submissive to rulers and authorities. Like when the cops pull you over, it's yes, sir, no, sir. Put your hands on the wheel. Be nice and calm. They're pulling you over for a reason. I remember getting pulled over and thinking, stupid cops. <laughs> oh, the stupid one. I did something stupid. That's why he pulled me over. But listen to me. The police are trained to, when they approach your vehicle, are you a wolf or are you a lamb? They look for things. They have clues, and your body language will give them telltale clues. If uh, you have a, a gun in the car, don't tell them. <laughs> and don't reach for it. <laughs> Be subject to rulers and authorities. Be obedient. How many remember what is the first commandment with a promise? Honor your father and your mother, the fourth commandment, because there's a reward that it may go well with you all the days of your life and you may live long on the earth. Be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work. This is Titus's advice from Paul to remind the congregation, you guys, be ready and prepared. That's the Boy Scout motto. Be prepared. Always have something ready. Be prepared and willing to do any upright and honorable work. Slander no one. Be speak evil of no one. Avoid being contentious. Be forbearing, yielding, gentle, and conciliatory. And to show unqualified courtesy toward everybody especially those people that cut you off in traffic and the people who you put your signal on speed up so you can't get in. It's like, okay, we'll just back around them. Is that easy to do? Not for me. I get kind of uh, frustrated driving. And, uh, hopefully none of you do, but be courteous. Show unqualified courtesy toward everybody. Verse 8, to those who have believed in God, to those who have believed in God, so that those who believe in God, that's us, will be careful to apply themselves to honorable occupations and to doing good. Be the best worker on your job, especially when no one's looking. Can you say amen? Second Peter chapter 1, beginning of the, the, this letter, 
Peter says, here's a bunch of things that you should be doing in order to grow in grace. And this is how, this is the sort of person you should be and this is how you should be behaving and striving to be diligent, to have faith, to add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Leviticus chapter 11, three, actually four places in verse 44 and 45 of chapter 11, chapter 19, verse 2, chapter 20, verse 7, God says three times to His people, be holy because I am holy. How do we be holy? (laughs) You get Christ inside you that makes you holy. You receive Jesus as your Savior. It makes you holy. And verse 12, he says, waiting for and hastening. Come on, God, hurry up. The day of God, because of which the heavens will be. So he repeats that. But we don't really, sometimes we really want God to hurry up and come back. But what does the Scripture say? Earlier in the chapter in verse 9, God is patient, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Glory to God. Nevertheless, listen to what it says in Psalm 50, verse 3. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before Him, and it shall be very tempestuous around Him, all around Him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that He may judge His people. And He speaks and says, Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me, by sacrifice. If you have trusted Jesus as your Savior, you have entered into a covenant or a contract with God. And you are one of His. You have made a covenant. You have made an agreement. You have come into the family of God because of a sacrifice. And there's only one sacrifice that matters, and that's the sacrifice that Jesus gave for us. Let's go on to verse 13. But, or nevertheless, according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Glory to God. That's one of the best promises. When we get to uh, be with Jesus forever, no one's going to lie to you ever again. No one's going to steal from you ever again. No one's going to be cheating you ever again. It will, no one's ever not going to get... I mean, wait a minute. Let me frame the sentence properly. No one is not going to love you. Hallelujah. That's good news. Can you say amen? Everyone will love you. Glory to God. Warts and all. Everyone will love you. (laughs) No unrighteousness. Hallelujah. Praise God. (laughs) Our God shall come. Nevertheless, according to His promise, we look for new heavens and a new earth. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 17. Behold, God says, speaking through the prophet, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. Every sorrow shall be wiped away, every tear wiped away. No sorrow, no sickness, no suffering. Glory to God. Isn't that awesome? I can hardly wait. But God's waiting because He, does, he wants everyone to be saved. Can you say amen? Isaiah chapter 66, verse 22, the last chapter of Isaiah, he says, For as the new heavens and the new earth which I shall, which I will make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your descendants and your name remain. Glory to God. No separation of 
ever again in the new heavens and the new earth. It'll be a greatest family reunion ever. I found something very interesting. Uh, a young lady named uh, Phoebe, actually her last name was changed to Knapp when she got married. She was born um, this day back in uh, 1880s, no, 1838. <clears throat> Does anybody know who Fanny Crosby was? She was a little blind young lady who wrote over 9,000 hymns. 9,000 hymns! Can you imagine that? Well, her friend was Miss, Mrs. Phoebe Knapp. Mrs. Phoebe Knapp herself wrote 500 hymns. One day, she was playing her piano and she got a, oh, I love this melody. She went, she lived in Manhattan. Her husband is the founder of Metropolitan Life Com Insurance Company. So she takes the, wherever house she got there, she went, goes and visits her friend, Fanny Crosby over there in Brooklyn, New York. She plays the song and there's no words to it. And she turns around and Fanny Crosby's kneeling down praying. So she thought, this I got from my one, uh, every day of the year Christian history uh, lesson. Fanny Crosby's praying. So she thought she didn't hear it. So she played it again. She's still praying. She played it again. <laughs> Finally, she gets up and says, oh, I got the words for the song. And it was one of her most famous songs called Blessed Assurance. Somebody <laughs> took part the, uh, um, what do you call it, the chorus, and put it in a modern Christian song. And they, if you listen, you probably heard it. I don't know who it is. It's Chris Tomlin, maybe. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. This is my song. Praise God. Praising my Savior all the day long. We're going to meet these folks in heaven. Hallelujah. 9,000 songs. This <laughs> I don't think I've even written 9,000 pages of anything. <laughs> the new heavens and the new earth. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. John says he saw a new heaven and a new earth. I remember listening one time a pastor's preaching. He says, how many of you uh, took LSD when you were younger before you got saved? And Don't raise your hands. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Man, can you imagine God speaks into existence? A new universe, stars and stuff, like I was saying earlier, just the photographs from the Hubble Space Telescope. Wow! And it's going to be better. No decay. Hallelujah. John saw that in the Spirit. Praise God. Verse 14. Therefore, beloved, I like this. God uses the Holy Spirit to inspire the writer to call us who are saved beloved. Beloved of God, since you're waiting for these things, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Hallelujah. The grace of God poured out on us gives us peace. We have peace with God because we don't have to fear God because we know God loves us and God has made us acceptable. Lord God, therefore, oh, looking forward to these things, the new heaven and the new earth, 
<clears throat> to be found in Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creature, a new creation. Old things pass away. All things have become new. Chapter 15 of John's Gospel, Jesus said, You didn't choose Me. I chose you. Praise God. You're not the last person to be chosen. Everybody, I don't know, when I was a kid, we'd, you know, get the classroom together, then choose sides, and there'd always be a couple of people that were always chosen last. Well, God chooses us first. Can you say amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. And to be found in peace. Almost every single letter in the New Testament starts out with the greeting, grace and peace be multiplied to you. The grace of God produces peace because Jesus took our place. Hallelujah. These things, the new earth, the new heavens, eternity with God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 21 to 23 says these words, He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death, has reconciled us to present you and I blameless and above reproach in His sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast. Jude chapter 24, or chapter 20. It's only one chapter in Jude. Jude verse 24. Now to Him who is able to keep you and to preserve you and to present you blameless before Him be all glory and honor. Hallelujah. God is able. Verse 15 and 16. Now count the patience or consider the long suffering of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Let's stop right there for just a second. Or actually be more than a second. Consider <clears throat> verse 9, the long suffering of God. God is not willing the patience of God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance and faith in Jesus. That's good news. Can you say amen? And he, and he actually, and he says, talks about Paul the Apostle has wisdom according, uh, been given to him and according he wrote to you in his letter to the Romans in chapter 2 verse 4. It says, do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering don't you know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? God is so patient with us. Can you say amen? So patient. Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9, and Luke chapter 9. Comes down off the Mount of Transfiguration. They bring a, a, a demon-possessed boy, and, he, and they can't heal him and cast the demon out. And Jesus says, oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? This is, Jesus says that eventually his patience is going to wear out. <laughs> but thank God that it's lasted so long. And it's, oh man. <laughs> Jesus said, one of these days it's going to be, I'm, I've had it up to here, my mom used to say. I've had it up to here. <laughs> Praise God. <coughs> And then, look what else it says. Paul does, he writes to you according to the wisdom given to him in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. 
which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. How many have ever read anything in the Bible and it's like, what in the world does that mean? Lots of times, what? Mark Twain is famously quoted as saying, it's not the things in the Bible that I don't understand that bother me, it's the things I do understand, like the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God's eternal life in Christ Jesus. Some things are hard to understand in the Scriptures. I don't know everything about the return of Jesus, when it's going to happen, what are the signs and all that, that the uh, doctrine of last things, the study of eschatology, there's books and books and books and books and books written about all that. And I know a little bit, but man, there's a lot to know and a lot I don't understand. But the things I do understand, praise God, I like that. Also, Peter says, he equates Paul's letters as scriptures. This is mind-boggling. This is Jewish people saying that those letters that we have in the New Testament are scriptures inspired by God, and they accepted them. Isn't that amazing? You know how hard it is to win a Jewish person? It's hard. They don't trust people that are not Jewish. Have you ever seen those guys with the, the, long, the funny hats and the long uh, curly uh, things on their sides of their heads? And they, they wear, they wrap stuff around their arms and they put a little box on the top of their head and tie it up there. Try winning somebody like that to Jesus. They'll not even give you the time of day, most likely. You'd have to be a miracle to win them. And here, these Jewish people, Peter, it's a Jew. He says Paul's letters are scriptures. That's amazing. Hallelujah. So then, he goes on. In verse 17 and 18. Wait a minute, we lost something. Time out. There we go. This is the kind of persons we're supposed to be. Since you know this, <coughs> there you go. There you there for you there. <laughs> One of my favorite lines from the Princess Bride. You there, go there yourself. <laughs> Trying to get Inigo Montoya out of the thief's forest, and you there, brute squad, get this guy. In. You there, you there for you there. Beloved, knowing this beforehand, knowing this beforehand, since you know this already, since you're forewarned in the Jewish annotated New Testament, since you are forewarned that there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth and the judgment of God is coming, beware that you are not carried away with the error of the lawless or those that practice licentiousness and say anything goes. Be careful, be aware that you're not carried away with the error of the lawless and lose your own stability. See that word, stability? How many know if you don't have stuff stable, it'll fall over? The most dangerous work in construction is around cranes. More people get killed in crane accidents than anything else in construction. Cranes have to be stable. I just took a forklift class, and a forklift has to operate within what's called the stability triangle. 
You get outside that, you're in danger of injuring yourself or others or killing people. Saw a horrible video over in China. They had the surveillance cameras all over the place over there. A warehouse. This guy's driving his forklift. He's not trained. He's got too much weight on the front. Hits something. The forklift tips over like this. And a worker jumps up on the back of the forklift to try and pull it down. Like a 180-pound person is going to pull down a 3,000-pound forklift. She slips off. Falls under the forklift. The load comes off the forklift. Boom! The forklift fell right on her. It got out of the stability triangle and it killed the person. Let's not get out of our stability here. Can you say amen? Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 33, verse 6. Wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your times and the strength of salvation. The fear of the Lord is His treasure or respect for God. And this wisdom, in in, uh, Proverbs it says, get wisdom. With all you're getting, get wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is God's outlook on things. And then it says uh, in verse 18 here, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm going to know that when you're born, somebody has to take care of you, change your diaper, feed you, do all that stuff until you turn 18, and then hopefully by then you're mature enough to get out on your own and make a name for yourself in the world. Being born into the kingdom of heaven is kind of the same thing. When you receive Jesus as your Savior for the first time, you become a new person, born again, and you have a whole new life ahead of you. And the Bible tells us to grow. Or as some people might say, grow up. We're supposed to become mature Christians, trusting in God and believing God for great and mighty things. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16 says, But we, speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into Him who is the head, that is Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. It's such a blessing when people in the congregation step up and say, Pastor Wayne, what can I do for God? How can I help serve God? You could sing, you could greet, you could usher, you could help teach children's church, keep an eye on the kids. You can pick up little pieces of trash as you see them. <laughs> Praise God. Every part of the body can do something. And when we're all working together, it causes growth and edifying of itself. Praise God. Grow in the grace of God. In chapter 1, verse 2, Peter writes, and specifically in his greeting, he says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How many know that God wants to know wants us to know him better and better as we go through time god wants us to know him better and better as we go through time and we do that by reading the word by ourselves praying coming to church 
fellowshipping, and looking forward to the day of eternity. Anybody ever hear of something called the New Age movement? Back in the, I guess it might have been the early 70s, it became real popular. There was a, a music group, they, uh, oh, the mamas and the papas. This is the dawning of the age of Aquarius. They looked up at the stars and they could see that something's changing. Yeah, something's changing, all right. Jesus is coming back and he's going to establish a real new age, the true age of eternity, the real new age wherein righteousness dwells. Something for us to look forward to. Grow in grace and peace. To Him be glory, honor, both now and to the day of eternity. In Philippians it says that Jesus must have the preeminence. He's coming back, and I hope you're ready. So with that, let's close in prayer. Bow our heads, close our eyes. No one's looking around. I want to ask you this morning, have you been born again? Uh, you receive Jesus as your Savior. Praise God. If you're, not, if you're here and you're not saved, you've never been born again, God loves you so much. I'll never forget somebody tell hey, anybody tell me God loves you? And I couldn't believe it. Oh, no, no, God couldn't possibly love me. I've done too many naughty things in my day. And I was still young at the time. But God proves he loves us this way. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. It also says that God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin for us in order to make us the righteousness of God in him. Whoever confesses Jesus, Jesus will confess you before the Father in heaven. How do you get in Christ Jesus? You get Jesus in you. John's first letter, chapter 1, verse 15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in that person, and that person abides in God. So I want to ask you this morning, do you abide in God? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned to Jesus and asked him to save you? Do you understand that it's your sin? that put Jesus on the cross, if you were the only person on the earth, Jesus still would have gone to the cross and died for you. If that's you this morning and you are not saved and you know you're not saved, God loves you and He wants to have a relationship with you and adopt you as one of His children. And if you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, between you and God, if that's you and you want to get saved, I want to give you an opportunity to pray a simple prayer. Just slip your hand up and say, yes, that's me. I need Jesus. I'm not saved. I'm not born again. I've never repented of my sin, but I need to do that. And today is your opportunity. Anyone at all, man, woman, a child, young or old, it doesn't matter. God loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants to have a relationship with you. Praise God. Maybe at one time you were serving God and you've drifted off and you want to rededicate your life this morning. If that's you, just slip your hand up to God as a sign. That's me, God. I want to rededicate myself to you. Anyone at all, praise God. Hallelujah. With that, let's stand to our feet and close. Hallelujah. Thank you very much. I think uh, I got a thing back there. I'm not sure what I did. <laughs> One of these days we'll forget it all. 
straightened out. But thank you for coming this morning. Thank you for listening. Um, praise God. I hope you are growing in Christ. If anyone needs prayer, uh, I'd be more than happy to pray with you and for you. My wife, come and help me. So let's close.